This show is part of the Darkmore Podcast Network. To join our community Discord or see more content from our members, visit darkmorepodcasts.com. My name is Sarah, and I play Morlinde Lyklast, an elf in the circle of the land and presiding druid over New Isatalos. And this is Advantage. Last time in episode 2.10, our heroes ran into a familiar face, that of Takus Ure, a gnomish horizon walker investigating a troubling scene on the surface. Mavroth, a terrible red dragon who has kept the Davrama gnome village in fear, appears to have also encountered a squadron of warforged sent from her dearth. Looking through the battle-torn remains, the party found a mission brief containing some valuable but disturbing information. These Warforged were a part of the fugitive unit sent beyond the territory of Herdurth to locate and recover enemies of the kingdom who had been profiled in the Watched Forest, one of whom is Grimton, and the other is an old companion named Nexby. Takus led the party to a fairly mundane location in the forest on the pretense that he could get them to Haven where the Davrama are hidden away. He made a strange request at this old campsite and gathered everybody around this large tree, pressing their bodies uncomfortably against the bark. Then there was nothing, just falling, and then suddenly they found themselves among knotted roots somewhere else. And that's where they'll pick up. Takus begins to usher you forward out of the web of roots. He says, uh, welcome to Haven. That's Y-E-W-I-N for you uh, common speakers. Ulrich, your kinship with the Davrama is obvious as you enter into this larger space that reminds you of your family's village back in Kolgafir uh, before the invasion. The Malnathri clan was tucked secretly beneath the mountain of Rorum and the Fortress of War. Uh, can you describe what features of this area paying familiarity? In general, like the whole area is gnome-sized, but also um, non-gnome considerate. So there's there's like a um, we're in a sort of like quote great hall, which is like a normal-sized room for everybody else. Um, but for us, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tall ceiling. And then there's, um, these, a lot of just like offshoot tunnels, but they're like Tolkien-esque, like round doors, you know, like in the mm-hmm. like Hobbit doors. It's a lot, it's a lot like that and the same kind of make, uh, and the same kinds of like art that would have decorated a central meeting place w- within my people in terms of both just like cool designs, very, uh, flowing so when you think about yeah, like, kind of Art Nouveau. Yeah, yeah, and then some you know very pastoral 
art as well, just because like we're that's what we do. We like landscapes and stuff. Um, and then maybe you know one or two of some of the great heroes of gnomish lore um, in some important moment of their various quests. Uh, Grimton, you recognize Haven as a part of the Feydark. Uh, give me a religion check, please. Part of the Feydark? You say it out loud? Yeah. <laughs> That's a 13? Uh, yeah, I'll give it to you. You sense a sort of sacredness here. Uh, the space feels special, blessed maybe, protected from the outside. And it's not the sort of sacredness that you might encounter at like a chapel to uh, Bahamut, though. There doesn't seem to be any powerful divine consecration that makes this unique. But nonetheless, there's something about this place that gives off an air of powerful significance. Like you've experienced at perhaps like the Watcher's Mural or Everflame's Vigil Fire. What questions are in your head? I guess I've never associated this place with being protected in a good way. All my experience with, like, uh, these sort of higher powers has been with the Pantheon and now with the spirits so much. Alaris and Merlinde, you also feel a fey presence. Um, Alaris, give me an arcana check, please. Rolling with your new Dark Silver Forge dice. That's <laughs> true. The Dark Alpha. I want that set uh, so bad. It looks so is cool. Is that the robot-y looking one? Yes. That is a robot-y one. I want it so bad. You want that robot so bad? That's going to be a 22, Joe. Wow, 22. Um, so you recognize the spell that just happened, the one that transported you here, as primarily conjuration magic, which did two things. One, it obviously helped in transporting you to a new location, uh, but it also, at the same time, two, brought you to the Fadark. So that there's a, like dual role that it played um interesting what about that might stand out as arcanely significant like on a mechanics level well like i just don't think conjuration i guess whenever i would think teleporting to inner planes when i think conjuration i think of like creating illusions and like sure my, like tricks illusion magic is distinctly its own field sure yeah conjuration like literally conjuring things if I remember right, though, Joe, isn't this? Aren't we interacting with this the same way we interact with just the Fey? Uh, yes, it's kind of. So I have a I have a question uh, about that. So like, okay. we have gone to a different physical location. Yes. But it's also an almost like, if I remember right, an almost like experience shift. Like our our perspective changes changes. Yes. So my my question is, if somebody was in the same physical space as us, but that. A vision shift essentially hadn't happened to them would they still see us that is a great question to bring up at some point to somebody that is interesting like if we're in the same place but in just a different plane and someone else is in the exact same spot as we are what like what happens but in yeah not in the fate arc in the natural world for example, um, the Library of Traditions, you had right. to uh, shift right. into the into the, uh, into the Fade Arc to be able to experience it. What might that space have looked like? If we were not in if the Fade Arc. You were, if it was just purely mundane, right? Yeah. That's interesting. 
And like, are we true? And like, are we truly here, or is it like just our conscience? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, did did we vanish to people in the natural world? Or are we just standing there with like a glazed look in our eyes, seeing things differently? <laughs> I mean, we crawled out of some roots. I'm pretty sure we physically moved. I mean, you can have some pretty strong illusions. Also, so like teleportation magic and that conjuration stuff, like, is frequently used for actually like physically maneuvering stuff throughout. Uh, space-time and material existence right but then there's some sort of like psychological thing going on as well that also shifted you somehow into the fey without mm -hmm. you like purposefully doing it which is the only way that you have experienced it previously otherwise yeah. right yeah. morlinda give me a nature check Ooh, this is the first time i get to use my shiny new uh, dark silver forged die. Dark silver forged die. I'm so excited. I can't talk. Give us a quick oh, commercial for it. She's high. Okay. 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 It was nature. 24. 24. You do not recognize uh, by name the spell that just happened, the, the teleportation spell, mm -hmm. but you do know uh, that with enough training and skill, it would certainly be possible to replicate there seems to be something mystically primal about what just happened like it tapped into something deep that you could access uh what might be spiritually implied here either by the spell itself or uh elsewhere i mean it involved a tree mm -hmm. where were we where was the tree uh the tree is just in the forest somewhere. I mean, uh, it was outside of this Italian territory. It was a, it was a large tree. Yeah, I mean any circle any any circle of druids living in the forest might have created a pathway like that to get to you here. That sounds like some druid stuff that we would do. Uh Morlinde is thinking about how well, what she does know about teleportation. Um and she does know that like there are like teleportation circles and you can like you can cast a spell to put a circle in the ground and like yeah create a permanent teleportation spot so that's what she's thinking is going on alaris you witnessed that magic when the lieutenant colonel teleported down from havenmere okay it would make sense that some druids or someone else in the forest would want to create that path and thus do it right there who who made it and how did they make it and when did they make it? That's very interesting. It's almost like the tree was sort of like an object from a certain series of books, like a port key. <laughs> uh, you know that's what I thought of when we uh, when we first when we first teleported because we all had to hold hands. Suez J.K. Rowling. We uh, we kind of just like crawled out of the roots. We didn't like fling anywhere or like spin. We just like ended up yeah. there. Right. So, yeah, I, less I imagine less this intense. more a conduit and less like something that literally hurls us across. It's more like uh, a complicated gateway as opposed to... Was there like a symbol on the tree or a symbol around the tree? Nope. Just a tree. Was it the tree that transported us or was it like something about us regardless of the tree that got us here? All right, here's my hypothesis. Are you ready? Go for it. There's a magical gateway that's just right there. But over time, accidentally, a tree grew up there. And so <laughs> we, have to, we have to get super close to the tree to be inside to the be circle. To be technically in the circle. Yeah. You nailed it. That's it. Yeah, that's 100% it. It's just happens. like, 
I like the visual of you guys like walking forward out of the roots, just like expressing these thoughts out loud to each other, like quietly whispering. <laughs> you're as you're lost in this discussion, kind of following the crowd. You come back in as Takis is introducing you to a slender gentleman who's wearing a uh, clean silk tunic. Who he gives a quick wave and says, "Hi, uh, yeah." As Takis said, I'm. Uh, Zimbek, you can call me Z. I'm also the coordinator for all the things down here in Haven while we're in defensive mode. Um, if you came in with Takis and you missed all the danger stuff, which is good, we kind of keep things pretty secure around here for uh, our collective safety. Please, no haphazard swordplay or fireballs. Save those for Mavros kobolds on the surface. Oh, and uh, hey, it looks like I'm being waved over to somewhere else. And I, I, I don't know how long you're staying, but we trust you uh, that you will earn your keep in one way or another. Uh, and you follow Z's eyes and see uh, three gnomes wearing some goofy garb with like purple and yellow frills and baubles uh, whose faces are very, very stern. And he walks away. And so now you're left here in this wide earthen chamber, this great hall that is well lit by fungi that appears purposefully maintained to run a perimeter around this room, kind of casting light up the walls. Um, oh my gosh, guys, it's a nice. fae portal. You know, like, where there's, like, like a ring of... Oh, like a, like a fairy circle? Yeah, fairy circle, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fairy circle. From RuneScape, where you can teleport with them? <laughs> yes. Well, but Sue us, Jagex. That's solid fae lore of those yeah, fairy circles. Right. Yeah, right. You spot Takis uh, with a small woman wearing a bright yellow tailcoat that is far too long. Uh, they're headed down that corridor over there. Briston, who's with you, glances at Herrick and nods, and then they turn back to you. They say, right, I don't know about you, but we're going to find where they keep the mead. The rock gnomes in Herderth ferment some damn good stuff, and I will happily be the judge of any drink that they think they can beat. Catch up with us when you're ready. And they walk off. Can we go with them? Like, that sounds like fun. Yeah, like, I don't know to a drink. I like the idea of a tavern, and he said, earn your keep one way or another, and that sounds kind of like what happened that one time that we had to go, like, gong farming. Yeah. <laughs> well, I Can don't I... know if we, we didn't have to go gong farming. Wait, where was the town that we had to have money? I, su- I propose we earn our keep by killing a dragon. I'm not opposed to that. We might have gone over this already. But, like, why are we here again? Like, why did we come here? I remember that we did. Takas? We didn't have a reason to come here. We just hugged a tree and we're Takis here. Takas was like, hug a tree, and now you're right. Well, there was all that commotion on the on the surface with the... You you know that Al had known that this place was here and was would have been able to, like, get you to Haven successfully as, like, a mid-spot for your journey farther to delve deep. And Alaris, uh, I think you see Al make a very rude gesture at the Ormains as they walk away. Uh, and he turns to you and says, why am I even here? I'm superfluous. I disagree, Al. I always like having you around. That's great, but I was useless to you on the King's Highway, and then we finally got to a place where I could help out, where I could lead us to wherever we were going. Uh, and then Takis just teleported here. I'm going crazy. I need I need fix. I need a purpose, and I need these nightmares to stop. You have more value than just, like, immediate goals. Like, your counsel, first of all, in every context that uh, we've had it, has been invaluable. 
uh, as well as in, you know, in combat as necessary. You've been there uh, to keep us all safe. Like, you're just as important, and I would like to continue to have you here. As always, my friend, I'm never going to try to force you to do anything, but but know that you're valued. Hey, Ulrich, and all real. You, you know, they probably have, like, a doctor or someone, a, a more medical profession, maybe like a, a physician or a psychiatrist of some sort. Maybe you could go talk to them and see if they can help out all real with his nightmare problem. Joe, I want to roll some kind of check based on, you, you mentioned the, like, three stuck-up-looking people over there um, yeah. in, the, in their fancy clothes. Is there any check I can do to, like, kind of figure out what they are? Like, do they clearly look like some kind of scholar to me? Do they clearly look some, like some kind of nobility? Like, what, just from their clothes or demeanor? You could tell that they look more uh, scholarly or perhaps priestly than they do, like, nobility. You you look over in the corner of the hall where they are, and they're still speaking with Z, like, waving their hands, and the little baubles on their hats are going, bling 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 That's a bell's jingle. Oh, so he, he went to go talk to them. I'd like to kind of just, like walk over to them but in in a way that like it is obvious that i'm waiting on their conversation to end before i just like hop in i'm standing there like you know hey like, yeah making sure eye contact i'm just trying to get like a feel for where everything is and uh ask somebody about what what all we have access to al sees you uh looking over there like not paying attention to him anymore yeah. And saying, all right, I'm going to go show the Ormains where the booze is. I spent a decent time with Mead last time I was here. <sighs> Bye. Wait, wait, Al, you know where everything is. I, I was just going to ask them where everything is, but if you already know, you want to just like kind of take me around? I didn't think about that he was already here. <laughs> yeah, you that was, never... That was the whole point of his just his conversation to you. <laughs> I'm. Nobody's freaking taking me seriously. Al, I always take you seriously. Uh, anyway, I do always take him seriously. Oh my god! I mean, oh my spirits! Guys, Al is my friend. You you say out loud to to everybody. Guys, Al is my friend. <laughs> He's probably my best friend. You walk through the tunnels and eventually come to a gnomish bar. Can the four of you describe to me what a gnomish bar looks like? The door is really small. The door is very small. You have to duck to get in. It's only slightly too small. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> As we crawl into the bar. Is it also illuminated by fungi? Is that like their main source of, of light? It seems to be the case down here. Yes. Oh, so this bar specifically has like rainbow fungi lights, which gives a really Ooh, cool yeah. glow. Kind of like a ravey almost atmosphere. Guys, is this is this a gay bar? Yeah, it's definitely an LGBTQ friendly yeah. bar. And Aurel says, I used to frequent this place all the time when I was here. Uh, and you see Herrick and Briston who are sitting at a table with a flight of beer between them. It's rainbow beer. They're taking shots out of like little test tubes. <laughs> <laughs> God's damn, Greysunder. The beer too. One stoked brewery was the most prized treasure in the kingdom. Imagine getting to sit in a window booth at the Lean and Peak with a pint of Winterberry Blonde, the smell of pour or roasting over a spit. Tossing some dice with the whole family. You, me, Ma, Uncle Alfor, and the little ones. And I could be there. Praise be to Moradin. You know any beer made from the winterberry holds a special place in my heart. Aye, if only they had it. Aww. All I want to do is play a damn dice game with me fan. I'll play dice with you. 
I'm not your your family, but I'll play dice. Gets dice out. Ow! I keep poking myself with the D4 of my dark silver forge dice. It's very pokey. <laughs> Subtle plug. The D4 is very sharp. Like, this is not a D4 that I would want to try to swallow. This I was going to say, <laughs> as you recall, we discussed this specific issue. I keep, like, you know, rolling my dice around in my hand, and it's, like, fine. And then I'm like, ow! No, it's absolutely a caltrop yeah. that, a, that a rogue would throw behind them as they're fleeing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's brilliant. So we're role-playing about being in a tavern. Look at but those I, rainbow dice over there. I love the energy in here. It's, it's a bit much at times, but, like, overall... Great. I'd like to imagine that there is like a couple of gnomes over in the corner and one of them has like a huge drum like these are the DJs and they're basically <laughs> like um, acoustically reproducing what is trance music yeah. so it's just like <laughs> Love and then it. somebody's got some like two or three guys got like flutes and they're like there's a ripped gnome just like dancing shirtless in the corner. Yeah, they're playing Sandstorm by Daru. I like that we're just all sitting there just having a normal conversation while this trance techno music is just going on in the background. Sue us, Darude. You also, as as you're glancing around, taking stock of all the things that are happening here, you definitely do notice uh, a bunch of queer couples who are dancing with each other. Briston flashes his eyes up to you, Auric, uh, and then just kind of goes back to sipping his beer. And uh, Herrick says, so Grimton, we playing? Let's you go. You ready to roll some dice? Can I get in? I say sitting down at the table. Briston says, yeah, I'd love that, Auric. Come sit next to me. This is one of those situations where I like sit perhaps slightly closer than is necessary, but Absolutely. not so close that like any kind of gesture is obvious. Sure. Is this a friendly game, lads, or are we going to make it interesting? Let's start with friendly because I don't know the rules. I want to observe <laughs> before I get involved. I don't mess with dice games. I know how they all end. So so how do I play? What are the rules? I've always what? been a big Liars fan of Yahtzee. Oh. Yeah, I Yahtzee. have never... I've never known how to play Yahtzee. <laughs> I've played Farkle before. I've played Farkle too. The only dice game I know how to play is Liar's Dice. Well, well then Auric, we'll play Liar's Dice, and that's oh why we'll gosh. make it interesting. All right. Okay, I know but that you're one. We're gonna have to explain the rules. So, Liar's Dice, oh. the way it works is <clears throat> we all start with five dice, and one. Uh, we each have a cup. And essentially what you'll do is you'll, you know, you shake up the cup and you'll put it down on the table where nobody else can see. And you'll look at your dice, so you're counting how many of everything that you've got. So if you've got like three fives, a two, and a four, or something like that, you would say, you might say something like, I've got one three, which could be completely false in that situation, but it sounds believable enough. And basically what you're trying to do is either, each, each person that goes around, you either raise the dice number, so like instead of, one three, you've got one four, or raising the amount of how many there are. Instead of instead of saying, all right, I've got one four, you might be like, and it's not I've got, it's how many you think are on the table total. This is Briston counting, saying, all right, so I'm playing, Haddock's playing, Aurel's in, Ulrich is in, and Grimton, that's what, six people? No, five, five people. people. Yeah, y'all have fun. If I was to start with, yeah, there's uh, one three on the table, Everyone, no one's gonna contest me on that. But then, once it gets later, so you can challenge somebody's claim, and then when you do, everybody has to check. And if the person who challenged is 
wrong, they lose one dice. Um, and then if that person is right, then the person they challenge loses one. And you just keep going until there is only one. All right. How many sets of dice do we have? Do we have like 25 dice? I'm going to assume that like the adventurer's kit comes with a set of dice for this exact situation. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure that the bar itself also has sets of dice that they have, like in the way yeah. that like they carry like playing cards and, and other uh, games. Monopoly specifically, right. they have Monopoly by Hasbro. Man, why didn't we play Monopoly? It's the Pandominion edition, yeah. though. <laughs> wow. Temple is an expensive place to own. Let me tell you. Given like the recent conquest of the Pandominion, I guess it's also kind Ooh, of a bit yikes. on the nose. <laughs> All right, everybody roll. I said five dice, right? Yep, five dice. I'll start. I say there are four ones on the table. I say that there are seven ones on the table. Ooh, that's a bold move. I reckon there's eight ones. Eric says that's bold. Two twos, says Eric. All real says... Uh, can I fold? <laughs> I'm gonna. I want a beer. Can I just fold? Yeah, man. Uh, I, Joe, I think I'm gonna just go out of the bar and go have a look around town. That's fine, and that's a great way to uh, segue out of this. As <laughs> all real is going up to the bar, and uh, I assume Morlinde and Alaris both are leaving the establishment. I mean, the beer was good, and it is loud in here, and I'm a little bit over it. A lot of bit over it. So as you leave, you see Takis with that tailcoat lady uh, as they're sitting beside each other in like a corridor off the Great Hall. They're sitting beside each other on this small mat chatting about something. And Takis has a quill and paper in his hand and seems to be invested in taking notes on whatever she's saying. Uh, so we didn't build Haven, we won it, and the fools, damn them, lost on the stupidest terms. We tricked them and now it's ours forever. Or at least until they raise an army against us. Uh, until then, they just get to poison an occasional tankard. But that was so long ago, far before even our grandparents' grandparents. I'm going to walk up. Takis is, like, scribbling away, frantically trying to keep up. What are you talking about? Wait, did he say something about poison? Takis looks up and says, oh, hey. Um, yeah, it's this new thing that the Horizon Walkers are doing on our travels. Uh, maybe Ulrich has heard about it. It's like a new writing program. I love it and I hate it. A writing program? Like you're documenting like places' histories and whatnot? Yeah. So a lot of gnomish places don't have any written lore. It's all oral. Oh. Um, and like, it's cool that nobody has written down anything and it's fun to keep, all, keep it all like minstrel and poetic, but dang. It sure be useful to have some of these stories compiled somewhere, right? Cool. Yeah. So there's entire groups of people whose entire that they don't have anything written down. Exactly. Primarily gnomish burrows. Hey, listen. If you've got the chance, uh, if you guys want to take down some stories like lore, myths, 
urban legend, anything. That would be real helpful to us. Sure. Yeah, I'll... do we just ask anybody? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that sounds pretty easy. The the lady that he's talking to, uh, the l- woman in the tailcoat, says, Ooh, uh, make sure to put somewhere in your notes that religion is just a trick that big people use to make little folk give them things. <laughs> ah. Which you've heard before. Yeah. Uh, Morlinde in particular. Yes. Well, it was well, by the one that was like had his arm chopped off or something. Yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah, he was FTD. Yep, that's interesting. Okay, well, let's go find some people. Are you, Alaris? Uh, uh, do you want to do this? I'm honestly interested. I love the idea of helping creating a library. Yeah, I'm down. And it's a lot quieter than that bar. Yeah, that bar was cool. It was just not what I was looking for at the moment. <laughs> You hear oh it my God. echoing the down distance. the hallway. Flash yeah. back to the cave or to the tavern, and like there's inexplicably glitter in all the dwarves' beards. Yeah. <laughs> it's never getting out. You guys are beard. You guys are now glitter beard dwarves forever. Forever. Ah, of the glitter beard clan. <laughs> glitter beard dwarves just got added to my punk rock band name list. Oh, that's very yeah. good. Now, this is a fun exercise in collective uh, story creation. Okay. Um, Merlinde and Olaris, as you two are walking around and just like canvassing people for stories and stuff, I want the four of you as cast people Mm -hmm. to create these stories. Okay. Right quick as a like underlying thing. Mm -hmm. So one of the most important things in Gnomish lore within this world is the idea that so generally generally gnomes are nomadic pardon the pun and it's this idea that we used to all the gnomes used to have this home very like garden of eden style we just now refer to it as the ancient hollow and for whatever reason we were cast out of it there are different stories that say different things about why we're no longer there but the like sort of justification for why we're nomadic is that we are always in search of that ancient hollow so that idea pervades all of our stories. Just that's like an important bit of the history of gnomes. And we'll say that's one of the first stories that you hear. You're able to reference that uh, going forward. Um, and as I'm gonna give you a little bit to think about this as I go get another beer, be right back. <laughs> hey friends, it's Joe. So glad you're here with us for episode 2.11. Let's get down to business, shall we? This is the first week of a season-long series of raffles. The first five drawings are for uh, hand-drawn rituals made with love by me and the rest of the cast, including a handwritten note on the back in order to charge your dice rolls with our love. Um, the final grand prize will be drawn on August 8th and receive the Shadow Rogue dice set from Dark Silver Forge and a piece of merch from our shop. Uh, I have entered all the contestants into a spreadsheet, assigned them numbers, and had Siri choose one of those numbers at random. We would like to congratulate our friend Jessica Lynn for being our first winner. I'm in charge of drawing this week's critical, Jessica, and I'm excited to pour my heart into it. Uh, I'll be in touch with you this week. For everybody else, don't worry, your entries will carry over into the following giveaways, including that final raffle of the Dark Silver Forge dice. 
One ways of entering is by sending a screenshot of your review of Advantage on whichever podcast app you use, whether that be Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, whatever. There are a, a bunch of other ways that you can also enter uh, and add your name to that list, all of which are detailed at the end of last episode 2.10 or on our website at advantagednd.com giveaway. Finally, if you're not on our Discord, join our community there. There's a link in the description. Uh, they see all the news from Darkmoor Podcast Network before it's ever released anywhere else. Plus, I've been drawing a whole bunch of scenes from Advantage recently, and I'm excited to share it with people. All right, let's get back to the show. Thank you, and congratulations, Jessica. So this is Dondon Bellow, the Cursed Fellow. As another aside, my friends, um, the quote ancient hollow in the old gnomish tongue is called Turithron Rothrim. Um, it's a little unwieldy, so ancient hollow in common works just fine. I'm gonna say that you hear this story from a particularly like wizened gnome. This is an old guy and it's an old story. The way these stories work though I haven't completed all this yet, so like, this is a hypothetical. But there's um, five or six of these like sort of poetic stories, but they're in a cycle, so you can start anywhere and can follow it around and you'll get back to where you were. Um, and then each hero of these stories also has a seventh one that depicts their death and how and how they died. And it's not in the cycle, it's a standalone. So this is one in the Dondon Bellows cycle. Dondon Bellow, the cursed fellow, lived in Turithron Rathrim. He sought his own selfish gains at any price, by any means. Through lies and cheats, he'd strike a deal and trick any who were slow of wit. A con man with a gambler's eye, to no rule he will submit. Seeking riches and great esteem, Dondon ventured into the mountains deep. Ho, oh, traveler, a voice called out, what brings you to my caves to creep? I seek gold and riches, Dondon replied, to sell or keep and make my fame. Here in the caves, the voice replied, there are riches and gold to gain. But danger lies among these shadows for selfish gnomes who come to steal. The being speaking stepped forth from within the darkness to reveal a dragon, dark and fierce, that smiled wide as Dondon's wicked heart it saw. There is a place within my realm that leads the worthy to the maw. The earth is thinnest in this place, and the chaos just below awaits. Dig deep, and you will surely find your riches beyond the fiery gates. So Dondon dug the maw to find, and dug and dug through mighty stone. The air around was getting hot, and soon he was so far below that only darkness and stone survived. At last he struck a hole with force, and from it burst a chaotic wind. He had arrived. He'd found the source. Below him gaped an ancient maw, where wind and fire devoured all, and glistening in this writhing heart, a sword buried deep in the thrall. He stole the blade and fled the maw, and climbed the stony tunnel walls to find the smiling dragon's perch. He hoped so strongly not to fall. 
It seems, dear traveler, you have found the sort of dreams within the beast. This blade will never dull nor break and easily slay your enemies. But take heed of the price to pay. You'll not sleep or dream again until the sword from you does pass to another seeking gain. Dondon fled to keep his spoils and traveled long and far away, never sleeping, never dreaming. In time, his sanity would fray. Dondon Bellow, the cursed fellow, lived in Turithon Rathrim. He sought his own selfish gains at any price, by any means. Through lies and cheats, he'd strike a deal and trick any who were slow of wit. A con man with a gambler's eye, to no rule will he submit. So that's the first story. There's a whole cycle where he tries to get rid of this sword um, because he can't sleep and he can't dream, so he's just like going crazy. Um, but like, that's the only complete one I have of Don Bello. Uh, what other stories have you heard? What other lore and moments of fascination have you discovered while just talking to people? So, Alaris walks up to a random gnome. Hello. To, we're trying to write down some of your guys' history so it can be carried on throughout the future generations. And this person's like, oh, <laughs> our history! And then proceeds to just tell Alaris his entire family history yeah. <laughs> as opposed to an actual lore story. Yeah. And Zanbar, my great-great-great-grandfather who owned the farm across the way. And then his daughter, Pozu, married his fan. And they bought another farm, and it is very... And it's like scratching out a f whole family tree. Yeah. <laughs> to keep track of it all, Alaris is not actually writing any of it down. He's uh -huh. doing very much a prestidigitation with a quill, and it's writing it down. <laughs> so oh, it can just good. keep track of everything for him. Very good. Because he does not care. <laughs> and once it gets to Rasgrim, the overladen, uh, and his trade routes... Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to imagine that like this old man like you know how you get telling a story and then you have to like wait hold on let me go back and say it and like <laughs> yep. and so the yeah. quill is just like angrily like scratching things out and yeah. then adding addendums it's like <laughs> you can see it's like wait 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 no that wasn't that wasn't close of fear that was low bar yeah and you, you look back at your notes and there are like all sorts of uh like hashes and arrows pointing out like oh, this was this these two should have been reversed it was nancy that married jonathan not Jonathan, who married Tiffany. Those are those are canon gnomish names. <laughs> I'll accept them. And I'm just like, th thank you, sir. Th that's that's not quite what I was going for, but I, I appreciate your time. And we discovered that Lorethel was haunted. <laughs> How haunted? The most haunted. <laughs> wow, the most haunted. The hauntedest. Out of anywhere ever? No, but that's all I'm allowed to say. <laughs> What is a story that you will contribute, Yessi, to uh, Gnomish lore? So, way back when, before dwarves had properly met uh, any gnomes, I guess, they heard tales of other, like, race of people that were also short in stature, but weren't really, like, stout and dwarvy. For a long time, uh, dwarves thought that gnomes were, like, apparitions of, like, their past or future selves like these sort of wispy whimsical like <laughs> uh, otherworldly beings like giving them visions of like what dwarfs should be doing 
And then they found out that it was just like a completely different subset of people. Now, imagine that story being told from the perspective of a gnome. We found these like big things that are just kind of dense and stupid and they believed everything. We told them. <laughs> <laughs> like like the gnomes are like hand, trolling though. on them. <laughs> One piece of lore that I will contribute is that Haven, again, uh, as Taga said at the beginning, spelled Y-E-W-I-N, translates from gnomish to common as safe bet. So, Morlinde asks a a particularly, I mean, she doesn't know a lot of gnomes, so she doesn't really know what old gnomes look like, but in her experience, this looks like a pretty old gnome lady. Um... And the story she tells her is about Sar- is about Safi and the small serpent. And so Safi was a young gnome um, that was traveling around in a pretty small caravan hundreds of years ago. Um, and as they were wandering around, um, she would always look up in the night sky and think there has to be something else out there. There has to be someone bigger than us, not just us people living and wandering around the cusp. So... One day, um, her tribe ended up in a small human village, and she had never been to a village like that before. And the first person they saw was a man named Chad, with a small serpent sitting on his shoulders. Um, And greetings, he said. Welcome to our village. Please visit our village center. You can get all the food and drink and materials you need before you head out. She and a small group of her tribe still ended up going to that city center, just to see, what do you mean free free food, free drink, free materials? Let's go. Um, so they go over there. Uh, they see Chad, which is weird because he was, he was right back at the beginning of the village, at the entrance of the village, and now suddenly he has appeared about five-minute walk in, even though when they left, he was still back there talking with the elder, uh, the elder gnomes. So... They're starting to get the free food. They're eating up this free food. It's so nice. They're wrapping it up. They're packing it up so they can take it on their journey. They're enjoying the free drink. Some of it is alcoholic. Um, so Safi's starting to have a really good time. Um, they're picking out um, They're p- picking out new fabrics, pretty new fa- fabrics, all sorts of cool stuff that's going to help them on their journey. Uh, and the sun goes down. It gets darker. At this point, they're just, like, enjoying life, having a party. And then a circle of big people surround the group of young gnomes the leader of this circle looks like their friend chad with that small serpent on his shoulder we're so glad you partook in our food and drink now it's your turn to earn your keep you didn't think that was completely for free did you now here's it's okay we only need two things the thumb from your left hand and then your pinky toe from your right foot and so the moral of the story is not the moral of the story is so six little gnomes had to fight their way out of a circle of humans of like eight humans but as she was running away and making her way back to her family and then telling her family that we need to go right now because these people are chasing me and they really want my thumb and my toe she turned back and she saw the small serpent just watching them run. And as Marlinde is hearing that story, she realizes that the small serpent is actually the spirit little dragon. Little dragon, that's what I was thinking. 
And so the moral of this story is, number one, don't trust big people. And number two, don't trust the spirits because big people just use them to control little people and take their toes. Hey. (laughs) Very good. I love that story. I'm not a storyteller. I disagree. But I do like to make shit up. So the dwarves have like somehow changed into plunging V-necks, all of them. This is getting kind of hot in here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, like Auric has definitely started losing layers. Auric is having a great time and is pleasantly soused. Not like handsy per se, but like more affectionate, you know, like they'll lean in a little closer when they talk and they're not afraid to like tap someone's shoulder, you know, like just that that kind of more, you can uh, tell more... that it's it's certainly being reciprocated uh, by Briston. They're looking for excuses to like lean over and tell Briston things. As is tradition in like dwarven drinking, the dwarves have transitioned from their like blondes and pale ales to their darker beers as the night has progressed. They're drinking like their stouts now, like big heavy beers to fill their bellies. I'm sure that at this point you are are no longer playing liar's dice and have uh, gotten to the dance floor. Oh. <laughs> I'll say that, that Auric is close, um, but of all the things that they have, dancing skills is not actually one of them, and so they're really nervous at the prospect of dancing, but they're starting mm-hmm. to get to the point in their drunken confidence where it's not going to matter. They're just not quite there yet. <laughs> all right. I'm going to roll a performance and see how good Grimton's dancing is. Not, not to usurp Joe's position, but can you describe what, like, dwarvish traditional or dwarvish club <laughs> dancing looks like like also dwarvish folk dancing for sure both is it folk dancing at the club yeah like, the that- dwarves are like they've kind of formed a, a little circle amongst themselves which is kind of what would happen at like a dwarvish wedding or something mm-hmm. and they're spinning clockwise around like facing each other but twirling the opposite way so they're twirling counterclockwise in the meantime, trying to like pat to the rhythm of the music, like on their chests and on their legs <laughs> and on their arms. Trying to. Um, give trying me that performance to. role to see <laughs> how well your uh, musical beat identification is. 13, it's decent. Yeah, it's not terrible. Any, any failure on your part is masked by the failure of uh, others as well. Uh, Auric, are you joining in on these dwarvish festivities? Oh yeah, so like now, especially once it gets re- into like group dancing, uh, Auric is definitely here for that. Particularly after Briston gets up and goes, Auric's like, "Well, I, I can't not now." Hey lads, it's good for your quads. They get up there, and this is definitely one of those situations where Auric is like, "I got this," and then like six steps in, they're thinking. I don't got this. This is not going to be pleasant. Like, these specific muscles are not ones that they've worked out in a while. Uh, you best move, all right, or you get run over. I'm work- I'm still learning the steps. Leave me alone. And they give, like, that, like, like a sheepish, like, <laughs> grin. Uh, Auric, you look over and, like, flash a smile at Al, who's sitting back at the table. He's just got a beer and is watching with a pretty blank face not an expression of i'm happy that you're having a good time but i just don't want to go out but just a i am feeling nothing right now i drunkenly wander over to him um 
sort of following the dance steps as I do. I'm like, come on, Al, you want to come dance? It's a good time. Uh, give me a persuasion roll, please. That's going to be a 14. You know, if you buy me another beer, I'll think about it harder. <laughs> I'll take that trade because in my brain, like, all Rick heard that is if you buy me another beer, I'll do it. Even though that's not <laughs> what all real said, but that's what all Rick heard. So they're like, I got you. And then they, like, slosh on up to the bar to go order another drink. Morlinde and Alaris, you two see your host, the coordinator for Haven. Uh, you see Z still emphatically speaking with his hands, uh, like, waving to this group of three individuals who are uh, still dressed very strangely. Yeah, and it's probably it's been, like, been hours. Y- well, you don't you don't know if like it's still the exact same conversation or if they right. had the conversation and then left. Are they like different people in the weird clothes? It's it's the same people. I will say that they are in a different location. They are in a different location. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So either they have moved or they broke apart and they're talking again. You overhear Z saying, "Hey, look, I, I realize that this is an important, important, time honored tradition." But is it really necessary to do right now? We can't even get to the altar. Furthermore, it's this sort of a ridiculous activities that got us into this position with Mavros in the first place. And uh, the three gnomes are all nodding, uh, emphatically jingling the bells that are attached to their bottle hats. Um, Does it seem like an agreeable nod? N- no, but like an insisting, yes, we need to do this yeah. sort of nod. Uh, and Z turns around, eyes rolled, and then looks away with a grimace of annoyance and uh, sees YouTube. Hey! Do you want to go, like, help him? Oh, okay. We're going to go help him. What's up, Z? Right, so here's the situation. And he's he's just, like, cutting to the chase. You can tell that he's really annoyed about it. He's not here yeah. for any formality. He says, right, here's the situation. Every month, it's a tradition that the Davrama worships a local spirit by giving them offerings so that they protect us wink from danger now we're not the fools uh, and we of course know that it's dumb and we know that religion is just a trick that big people use to make little folk bring them things obviously but this isn't religion this isn't religion this is just tradition and we've been bringing slabs of honeycomb up to the altar forever but anyway long story short is that our hives got sick last month and we missed one of the festival days uh, then the burn happened, which was scary, and then Mavroth came, which was scarier. Uh, yeah. So now we're like five weeks late on this honeycomb festival. Does wait? Does the does the burn affect the Fadar? No, but like we don't live down here. We live up there. Oh, okay. Plot twist: their lack of doing that is what caused the burn and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unrelated uh. to anything else. Oh man, you solved the campaign. <laughs> That's it. Game over. You That's figured it, it out. We've We're all done. been a side plot. Like as the main plot is like they some gnomes been... that are like, oh god, we totally forgot to do this. <laughs> forgot to take the honeycombs. No. And I the thought you did like, it. Man. You didn't do it. Oh, I didn't do it either. Uh, Morlinde, I will say that when you were conceptualizing what a proper funeral would look like for uh, your Nomis companions down in the Underdark, one of the things that they mentioned was what you now realize to be this ceremony of bringing a slab of honeycomb up to a uh, uh, an altar and presenting it and asking for, quote-unquote, in their words, protection, wink, 
Okay. And so what what what's the issue? Why do you why can you not go out and, and put the yeah, honeycombs up there? Kobolds can't get to the altar. Okay. Well, I mean, what we if probably, we could, but we're stuck down here. We could probably protect you from some kobolds. Those don't yeah. seem that dangerous. I'll fight somebody. <laughs> Says more Linde, literally like cracking your knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> Like, whatever. I mean, like, Z, didn't you say that we needed to to earn our keep in a way? That would be a hell of a job. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we could do that. We got some friends. Repay you for for your hospitality. So we're going to smash cut to uh, (laughs) you two presenting this idea to Grimton and... Uh, Grimton, I see you're dancing. Wait, you're, you're shouting onto the dance floor? <laughs> Grimton, I see you're dancing. I'm right in front of him. As he's doing his steps, I'm just talking to him in front of him. Do you want to go fight some kobolds? Right now? Yeah. <laughs> yes, right now. He like... <laughs> he's not near the table, but he runs over to the table where he's presumably like put down his armor and stuff, sure. and grabs tooth and like smashes into the nearest table. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, like the the dwarves that are nearby are like, yeah! And the gnomes are like, what did you do to my table? Yeah, the the, the barkeep's definitely <laughs> like, upset. what in the nine hells was that? And uh, you you turn around and like the musicians, the the rave bards are still playing, but they're also got like the, <laughs> like what a the really, hell are you doing? Like, like, like a yeah. bewildered <laughs> <laughs> and just like, we're gonna kill your kobolds. Okay, so there's really two Ulrichs at this point. There's the Ulrich as they see themselves, and the Ulrich as they are in reality. <laughs> and and the Ulrich that they they see for themselves is they're in this like flow state of dancing. They're just <laughs> crushing it on the dance floor like out there doing some moves and everybody's like hey like they're seeing it through these like filtered yeah Yeah. but in reality they're just like out there flailing about and people are having to like dodge um to make sure to not you're being really reckless and inconsiderate dancer the the things that they're interpreting as hey or like hey like yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so all right Um, we're gonna kill some kobolds. So I we're just gonna, go over there and like. We're gonna what? Kill some kobolds. So I I like swim into the dance floor and grab Ulrich by their arm and just like gently pull them away from the loud freaking bard so that we can actually hear. Morlinda is significantly taller than I am, so it has the like a the view of like. Pulling a petulant child yeah, by exactly. the ear sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, like, like by their hand, like, but I don't want to go. It's a bunch of other gnomes, right? So she's literally just like... Yeah, it's, you, you are literally weird. like a foot and a half taller at least than everybody else on this dance floor. Having to figure out the right gnome. <laughs> You're waiting like, for yes. All right, so Joe, I've decided that instead of a speaker system, mm-hmm. the drum that they're playing to create the beat is actually a big fungi, and okay. it's connected to all of the fungi oh, around. Oh, and it's like piped oh, around. Oh, so like, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> the bass just rattles your bones. All right, guys, here we go. <laughs>
Four, one, two, three, five. Mm -hmm. Okay, so anyway, um, wine stuff. Wine well, stuff. I was going to say, like, wine stuff. if you guys are to look at my fridge right now, I look like the college kid I never was. Like, <laughs> there is there is a bag of shredded Mike's cheese, hard. some shitty, like, cheap bitch beers, and then, like, two boxes of butter because I forgot I had one and I had bought another one and like half a carton of eggs and like that's my whole fridge. That's funny. That's like, you're telling me. IRL, I've never played Yahtzee. I've never played Yahtzee. Yes, see, the reason I mentioned Yahtzee at all is because you wrote Yahtzee in like one of your character questionnaires two years ago. <laughs> remember that one time I you wrote one thing? I all of that. I think <laughs> that's an obscure thing. You're like, what are the dwarves' favorite dice games? And he's like, yeah, that was probably the exact question. And yeah, I was like, honestly, what are some dice games? Yeah. <laughs>